0: Let's get going here and go on to the next implication from the law of eternal progression. And that is God could have sinned, right? Because as man is, God once was, as God is, man may be. So we are sinners, right? We sin every day. And if we sinned every day and we're like God, we're growing up to be God, then maybe God could have sinned as well. Uh, we're passing. For those of you who are coming in late, we're passing around a sheet. If your name is not on here, would you please put your contact information on here? Okay, let me... Yeah, I'm setting up the video right now. This video is about how Mormons believe that God could have sinned. This is done by a buddy of mine who is in ministry in Utah. And he just took a video camera with him, went up to Mormons off the street, and started asking him this very simple question. Is, Do you believe God could have sinned? Because I want you to see that this is a very common belief, that I'm not giving you something that only a few Mormons hold here. Okay, So let's look at this.
1: Provided you've heard the couplet, "As man is, God once was, as God as man may be," do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in a past mortal probation like us, learning to become what we can become?
2: Uh, yeah. okay.
1: Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been like us in a past, in a past like a sinner, kind of progressing to perfection and godhood like we are now?
3: You no, know, because he was the only perfect man to cross, walk the earth, but he's like us because he could die
1: do you believe it's um, possible that God the Father could have been like us in the sense that he was a sinner in a past mortal probation? Yeah, yeah I do. Okay. Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in a past mortal probation when he lived always.
2: his life? No perfect?
1: So he was always perfect? No way for him mm-hmm. to
2: commit sin. He's always perfect as he was. He used to
4: be.
1: He never sinned in the past, though. Like when he never had to become a god. Like we. No,
4: he not like that.
1: Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have once been like us, like a sinner who's progressing to perfection and godhood, just like we're progressing to perfection and godhood? Sure, it's very possible. I mean, um, says also that, you know, um, with God's one eternal round, I think it's the same. I think it's the same process that keeps going on, on and on and on through eternity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's very possible that he was just he was a normal man like us the The father could have been a sinner in a past mortal probation.
3: Um, I do. You know, I think that making mistakes is part of the, uh, an essential part of a learning process. So, I mean, if you follow logic and reason, um, then I, then I think that's definitely a distinct possibility. Sure. Um, Does it b-
1: make him any less powerful or anything? Does it bother you that you'd be worshiping a god who was once like us in the sense that he was a sinner? No, is- it makes me more comfortable, actually.
3: So, in the sense that uh, that we have hope to overcome, you know, if He could overcome and become as great as He is, then, uh, then certainly we have hope to, to overcome all of our trials and, and sinful natures as well,
1: so. Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in a past mortal probation? That's a difficult question. Um, I believe it's possible. I view even God the Father? I view him as maybe a similar to Jesus um, and uh, lived a perfect life and later became exalted. Do you believe it's possible that God the Father was once a sinner? Yeah, I know he's like us. Yes, but uh, yeah, there's a lot more to that than just up front. Yeah. Does it concern you that you'd be worshiping a God who was once a sinner like us? Well, I uh, actually look more towards worshiping a God that we can become like. So, yeah. so it encourages you in your worship that we can become God just like He became God, even though we're a sinner and maybe He was too? Or how does that work? Well, the I praise that now. That's all that matters. Do you believe it's possible that God the Father was once a sinner like us? How does it make you feel? So it's a, it's an encouragement that he was once like us, and that we can do what he did in terms of progression. Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner like us? I have no
3: idea.
1: kind of up in the air. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner like us?
2: Um, uh, one point before his progression.
3: Yeah. Um, I'd say it's maybe possible, but I don't think there's anything I've ever read or heard that's reliable that would say that, but I don't think it's, it's possible.
1: How does it make you feel that maybe you'd be worshipping a God who was once like you in the sense that he was a sinner, perhaps, a possibility?
3: Um, it would make sense to me, uh, knowing that it's not unreachable to be like that, that he was once like you are.
1: Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner like us? Perfect like Jesus? Yes. Okay. Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner like us?
3: Yeah, I, that's one of the teachings I like. Like, it's not just a Mormon teaching. Like, Protestant before there's perfectionism, it's just something Mormonism borrowed. And that's one thing that I think really attracted me to Mormonism is just the whole how we can become like God, and um, and
2: God, be,
3: God being a sinner. That's really complicated because if there was a savior, then and it's washed clean through that savior that it wouldn't have been a kind yeah. of like us, we were two persons, so it's a complicated question, but, yeah, I'm not going to... not committed? Well, I don't know enough about it, really, I'm not going to say uh, I would be shocked or horrified if that was the case, if God has been in the wrong, I would be shocked or horrified by that.
1: Fair enough. I I agree with
2: what you said
1: how does it make you feel how does it affect your worship and your view of God that he perhaps could have been a sinner
3: well if he, if he ever was a sinner it would have been a long time ago and he definitely progressed past that obviously and I don't know the steps that we would have had to do to progress past that or exactly what happens just like I don't really exactly know what happens after this life so uh, it doesn't affect my worship in any way just because I don't know enough about it really I don't complicated stuff like that you know, I just don't know enough about it to so let it distract me so I just kind of try to focus on this more simple stuff just try to live better every day Because that's really what The teachings are ours. try to be better the next day Than you were the day
1: before Do you believe it's possible That God the Father could have been a sinner In a past mortal probation? Uh, I don't know. Do you believe it's possible That God the Father could have been a sinner like us? A sinner like us? Um, you know, I uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of things about that um, And
3: I, I Lorenzo so did, did say that, so I'd say, um, you know, God experienced many things, much like, you know, the Savior did. So, um... Kind of up in what, the air? Yeah, to what extent? I don't know, because, you know, that's something that's our church really focuses on. So, you know, we try and focus on what we're doing here in this life and God Jesus.
1: How does it make you feel, it, and how does it affect your worship, that you could be worshiping a God who was once a sinner, perhaps? How does it make me feel, and how does it make me worship? Like, how does it affect your worship, yeah.
3: You know, it's not something we try to focus on in our worship. You know, we, we do believe that. You know, we have the intention to be like heavenly father, but I think what we're trying to focus on now
1: is trying to be uh, good Christians, all disciples of Christ, you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in the past?
2: Well, before he received his exaltation, he lived on a world, and it's possible, but he also could have been a savior on his world, as Jesus is a savior on this world, and therefore he could have lived a sinless life, and therefore not have. So we don't have his records, we don't have information about his life, so therefore we don't
1: know. So it's kind of up in the air. No of like the about his life. Do you think it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in a past moral probation?
3: Yeah.
1: How does that make you feel, and how does that affect your worship?
3: Um, I don't know if it worship in any way. Uh, there's some things I don't quite understand that we don't have a doctrine on, but I have, I have faith that that uh, things that I do know are true that have been
1: revealed, so everything else is revealed in time. So. Hail to the Prophet, ascended to heaven, traitors and us, now find him in vain, meaning with us
2: he can plan for his brethren death cannot conquer the hero again
1: Do you think it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in a past mortal probation?
3: Absolutely, yes. I believe um, he went through the same things we did. He knows what we are going through and he obviously lived his life right because he became a God, so he became our Heavenly Father. He's one of the greatest parents ever lived.
1: How does that make you feel and how does it affect your worship of God?
3: It makes me feel really good because Heavenly Father went through the same thing we did. He saw the same things we had to go through, and so he's been there. He knows, and all he wants to do is for us to come and live with him again. It, it assures me that I can always do better and become like God, like He's always told us to. That's yeah, absolutely an inspiration to live my life more according to the way of the church, because obviously that's what we all, where we all want to eventually get. so...
1: Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in the past? I believe in eternal progression.
3: How, what does that entail for you? What does that mean? I believe that uh, everything's mattered matter and spirit. And therefore, God probably was a sinner probably depended kind of sins. And somehow he made his way up there where he is right now. He's seen or not, that's not my concern.
1: How does that make you feel? How does it affect your worship? My worship?
3: hmm kind, of, kind of makes me feel more closer to Him in a way that I know that He felt the same things I'm feeling right now while I'm alive. He's going to He went through similar things that I'm through right now. And that eventually through practice and perfection with myself and whatever skills I need to develop, I can eventually become like him
1: be helpful in the future, you know? Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in the past?
3: I would
2: have
1: to study more and see what is written about that. Okay. Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in the past?
3: Yes, I believe that. How does that make you feel? Um, that
1: we can become like Him. That we can become like Him? Yes. Okay. Do you believe it's possible that God the Father could have been a sinner in the past?
3: Um, I don't think so. I, I don't need to know that. I uh, no. Um, yeah.
1: believe God could have been a sinner in the past? I know he was a man
2: uh, with, a, with a physical body and he's, he probably
3: strives as I am today. Um, I don't consider it a sinner. I don't know that. He had his own judges.
1: He had his own judges, you said? I would think so. Yeah. What, what does that mean? I'm sorry.
2: Um, I think that he had his own,
3: uh, his
1: own uh, tribulations to go through. And but you're not sure if whether those tribulations included uh, sinful temptations. And
2: oh, I'm sure they did. I, I, I'm sure to, to become to become a heavenly father, he had to go through tribulations. Um, if he was a sinner or no, I don't know. He The to and the high people to the glory of God. All my heroes work,
0: That shocks you, uh, man, I, s- I mean, this. I hope you see that what I'm giving you here is this is very common belief. This isn't something that just the uh, general authorities believe, or um, those who teach at BYU. This this is ingrained in in the Mormon psyche. And this is what makes our work so important is that these these people really need to know the god of the bible okay so let's let's go on here now you see how yeah yes, yeah, um I want you to, half the battle is understanding what is going on in the Mormon mindset and then being able to deconstruct it. So, um, let's, let's go on. God, I want you to see how needy the Mormon God is. He's a very needy being. God needed matter and its laws in order to become a God. God needed space in order to walk to a temple so that he needed water to be baptized. He needed all this stuff so that he could go on to become a god. God needed a wife in order to become a god. Yeah. Yeah. It It is a wife on a mortal probation that he had to have in order to become a god. Right? All Mormons know this. As a matter of fact, there is a very famous hymn called Oh My Father that the Mormons sing. It's a very popular Mormon hymn. It goes like this. Third verse says, In the heavens are parents single? No, the thought makes reason stare. Truth eternal tells me I've a mother there. Fourth verse, When I leave this frail existence, when I leave this mortal by, father, mother, May I, be, uh, may I join you, be with you in your royal courts on high. Then at length, when I've completed all you sent me forth to do, with your mutual approbation, let me come and dwell with you. This, I mean, In effect, this is a prayer not only to the Heavenly Father, but to the Heavenly Mother. All right, you see that? Yeah, Mormons are adamant that we cannot pray to anyone else except the Heavenly Father. And they've even excommunicated a uh, woman's uh, studies professor at BYU uh, over this issue because she wanted to pray to Heavenly Mother. So even though it's in their hymn in which they're addressing the Heavenly Mother, they cannot say, Dear Heavenly Mother, uh, thank you for this day. (laughs) Or you'll be excommunicated. Very weird inconsistency here. Mormons like to say that uh, God has not revealed her name because he doesn't want her denigrated or blasphemed. He wants to keep her respected. So they only have this hymn that's set apart for her. Um, Next. God needed some God before him before he could even become a God. Here's a quote from Joseph Smith. Uh, John, I think this is what you were asking about. Joseph Smith said this. He said, If Abraham reasoned thus, if Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and John discovered that God the Father of Jesus Christ had a father, well, you may suppose that he had a father also. Where was there ever a son without a father? Where and where... Was there ever a father without first being a son? Whenever did a tree or anything spring into existence without a progenitor? And everything comes in this way. Hence, if Jesus had a father, can we not believe that he had a father also? I despise the idea of, the, of being scared to death at such a doctrine, for the Bible is full of it. I want you to pay particular attention to what I'm saying. Jesus said that the father wrought precisely in the same way as his father had done before him. As his father had done before him, he laid down his life and took it up the same as his father had done before. Next. Very important implication. There was a time when the Heavenly Father wasn't the Father. Just as much as there was a time when the Son wasn't the Son. Very important point for you to get here. Because the Father had to get a wife and impregnate that wife to have a son. Do you see that? So the Son hasn't always, literally, eternally been the Son. Okay? Okay. Next. God and his kingdom is not the most important thing, but man's exaltation into godhood. We're going to take a look at one more video. I promise you it's a lot shorter. It's only about a couple minutes, if that. And this is from, I'm going here on the uh, 22nd of this month. This is a pageant presentation that it's put on right in the middle of Utah. You look at a map in Utah and you put your finger right in the middle. It's, called, it's a little town called Manti. You got family in Manti? Wow. No kidding. Okay, I want, you, I want you to see this. I want you to tell me if you remember this part. Okay, yeah. But um, this is a play performance that they put on in front of this temple. This is on a grassy slope. Okay, in front of this temple that sits on this hill that you can see for miles all over the valley. And Mormons come from all over the place to see this presentation. Thousands of Mormons every night. Okay? Thousands of them. And they see this presentation of the early beginnings of Mormonism on its way through the uh, pioneer days and into Salt Lake and some of the stories in the Book of Mormon. And they have Joseph Smith saying this. Get ready.
2: B, where did we come from and why are we here? We've asked these things of others, but not one has answered.
5: Ye are the children of a living God. You came to earth to take a physical body that your spirits might have a tabernacle in which to dwell, that you might have full expression. And after death, the physical body shall be resurrected. And you shall return home to him who gave you life. The Bible and the Book of Mormon beareth witness of these things.
2: Oh, sir, is it true? Shall we see and know each other again after death? Shall we be as we are now? You see,
5: Robert and I love each other. So deeply I that you will men and women who love and marry and have children keeping the commandments of the Lord under the new and everlasting covenant shall remain a family you throughout all the eternities for you are of divine parentage eternal in nature and forever expanding
3: The secret of the Mormon miracle lies in its theology. In a day when man's esteem of himself was uniformly worm-like in character, when the body was looked upon as something lowly to be despised, Joseph Smith declared the supreme worth of human personality. The body, an instrument of infinite dignity and importance, couched in the authoritative language of thus saith the Lord, the Mormon prophet pronounced... A revolutionary concept of man and his destiny.
5: Know ye not that the universe exists for the individual development of God's children? Nothing is more important than man's development. All things converge in him. All the spiritual forces of the universe find focus in him. You are the greatest miracle you will ever see. Eternal in nature forever expanding, advancing in progressive cycles of living, loving, learning toward a goal of eternal godhood. Joseph Smith is truly a latter-day
1: prophet.
2: A prophet, a true prophet.
0: Nothing is more important than man's individual development into godhood. Do you remember this? <laughs> right. Well,
4: I love my in And they say that you are the greatest, what is it, miracle, miracle that yes, you will ever see. Like you.
0: And the universe exists for, for you. For you. Right? And the body is of infinite worth. Yeah. Amazing. But uh, this is Mormonism, you guys. Uh, let's go on. Okay, if we become gods, the next implication, we receive exclusive worship. Right? You don't pray to your heavenly grandparents, right? You understand that? And so if you don't pray to heavenly grandpa, your kids, your spirit kids that you have if you become gods, they're not going to be praying to heavenly grandpa either. You understand that? So the God of this world is not going to be worshipped by our spirit kids if we become gods. I hope you see the blasphemous nature of Mormonism (laughs) because we're not going to have a lot of time to go into a lot of biblical passages, but I'm pulling out all this stuff so you guys will be shocked because I think you guys know that this really is blasphemous stuff that we're dealing with here. This isn't good old American pie, Mormonism, you know, and um, patriotism, and uh, you know, the, all the good stuff, the family values that the Mormons. I mean, th- this is the crux of Mormonism here. You need to see this. Okay, last last implication. Jesus's atonement is not a sufficient meritorious condition for being in the Father's presence. Instead, Jesus' atonement is a necessary meritorious condition. In other words, you also need to do your part because, as we've mentioned before, as James says, faith without works is dead. James also goes on to say, you now see that man is justified not by faith alone, but by works, in James two 2 Nephi twenty-five twenty-three puts it this way. We know that we are saved by grace after all you can do. Alma five. Um I don't have time to go into this. Morona okay, this you can look these up late. Actually, you know what? Um if you go to my homepage chart, MormonInfo.org, I've got these listed there and a bunch more. Um, Moroni 10:32 says, "Unless you deny yourself all ungodliness and love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then is His grace sufficient for you." Okay. Uh, the third article of faith says that we know that we are saved by the atonement of Christ and by obedience. To all the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Okay, we uh, we just we don't have time for Not epistemology. Yeah. I'm just going to skip that. Uh, now let's contrast this with the Christian God. The Christian God, and I just want to explain, so that we're all on the same page here, what the Christian God is. The Christian God, first of all, is the greatest. Conceivable being, period. The Christian God is the greatest conceivable being. As such, He is inherently all holy. Thus, it is inconceivable that He could even sin at some time. Because if you can think of a God who could sin, I can think of one greater. Right? The God that we believe in as traditional Christians who it is impossible for him to sin. As such, he could not be a racist. He doesn't curse some of his children with dark skin. He doesn't punish them that way. The creator of literally everything outside of himself follows from this point of him being the greatest conceivable being. As such there could be no other God in this sense. You understand that? Okay. Because everything that's outside of him is because of him. So any other God you want to talk about is going to be dependent upon this being who has life in himself. Okay. As such... He was in need of nothing to become God because he always was God. Now Mormons have got it in their heads that as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. So when they hear a Christian talk in these terms, they, it's, it's mind-blowing, and so they are always asking, well, where did your God come from? <laughs> and you say, look, you're, you're not getting it, okay? Okay. Because my God didn't come from anywhere. Where did your God come from? You see? They can't get it. It's like and I you try to break it down for me, you try to say, well look. uh, Asking that type of question is really a category fallacy. That means you're applying the wrong type of characteristic to a thing. It's like asking, how much does the note C weigh? It, no C doesn't weigh anything, right? Or what is north of the North Pole? Huh? No, there's nothing north of the North Pole. Because once you go to the, around the pole, you're going south. Do you see what I'm saying? So asking me, where did it, an uncreated being, who everything else that exists is because of him, where did that being come from, is a nonsense question. It, does, it doesn't make sense. All right, next point. This God inseparably exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, emphasis here on the term persons. I should have put this in. But they're persons, not manifestations of the same person. Justin here is one person, arguably, right? (laughs) He's not, he doesn't, you don't suffer from multiple personality disorder or anything like that. Okay. All right. But Justin is one person. But let's say Justin is married. He is a spouse. Let's say Justin, Justin is a son, obviously. Justin is a friend, Justin is an uncle, Justin is a brother, Justin is a, uh, a student, Justin, Justin is a banker. Justin has a lot of ways that we can see him as being. Do you see that? But, our, but he is still one person. Now this is a heresy to traditional Christianity. This is a view that is a particular type of modalistic heresy, it's called. Okay? It's called Sabellianism, from an ancient guy in church history who was kicked out of the church because he taught this view. And you have this view going around today in quote-unquote Christian circles. Bishop T.D. Jakes over here at the Potter's House believes this. I don't know if you're aware of this. Right. Phillips, Craig, and Dean, who are played in our Christian music stations, holds this. And confused Christians also bring out this view when they pray, Dear Father, thank you so much for dying in our place. Okay. It's, it's called patri Patri from the term Latin term father. Passi means uh, passion. Okay? The Father suffered the passion of the cross. This is heresy, but yet you 've got to understand this because Mormons think of us in this way. They have a fundamental misunderstanding of the Christian God. okay is that clear? The Christian God inseparably exists in three different persons, but not like the Mormon God exists. Because remember when we talked about these three persons here? These per- three persons, these human beings here, are they inseparable? No, they're separate. You know, one can exist without the other. You see that? Okay. That is the Mormon God. Okay. This is the modalistic God. Christianity is neither modalistic and Christianity is not Mormon. Christianity believes in there being one being of God whom out of his being everything else comes from and this being inseparably exists in three different inseparable persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Is that clear for you? Okay. There's certain analogies that I like using uh, that are helpful for what I'm talking about here. Um, I like using the triangle. The triangle, the angles of a triangle are different from the sides of a triangle, right? Angles are not sides. But you are never going to find the angles of a triangle somewhere where the sides aren't. The sides of a triangle always hook up or go together with the angles of a triangle. They are inseparable. So whenever you have a triangle, you're going to have at least two things there. You're going to have trilaterality, the sides, and you're going to have triangularity, the angles of a triangle. They always are inseparable for the being of a triangle. Now, to make it a little more concrete, that's a little metaphysical for you, but let's make it a little more concrete for you. How about uh, the shamrock? St. Patrick used to use the shamrock as an analogy for the Trinity to win over the pagans of his day. Because you have one shamrock, but yet out of the shamrock you have three different leaves. is an analogy for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How about this? This this would be a little shocking for you, Um, Abby and Brittany. Okay, or are they one human being? They have two arms, two legs, they have two hearts, right? But a lot of the internal organs are. This is a radically conjoined twin, but yet Abby is not Brittany, Brittany is not Abby. They communicate together. They work together. They work together so well that they can function throughout life.
5: Okay?
0: Here you have inseparability with distinction. Now I'm not saying that God is a human being, okay, with two, three different heads. That's not one If if that's what you think I'm saying, you're missing the point. All I'm trying to get you to see is that. There are things within nature in which we have inseparability and distinction. Okay? So with God, you have a being who inseparably exists in different, distinct persons. You guys, please hang in there with this. Because I'm telling you, this is just rock bottom crucial stuff that you've got to keep in mind if you want to deal with the Mormon on their view of God. Yeah, Justin? Yeah, He he believes that there are different manifestations to the one person of God. God is not three different persons, but he is one person. Who has different ways of appearing? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at different times or simultaneously, but they're manifestations, not different centers of consciousness. Yeah. Well, the, the Father in heaven was Jesus's divine nature. Okay, Jesus is the Father. Okay, so he, the person was operating through the one person of God, was operating through a human being, Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. But there are problems to this. Uh, and and we'll, uh, we'll see that later, hopefully, if we have enough time. Okay. Any, anything else here? Okay, uh, let's go on. Here's another example. <laughs> Three-headed turtle. Okay, the Christian God, another characteristic... Saves by grace and the merits, not of his kids, but of the only begotten kid, his son, the Lord Jesus. This is a being who is worthy of worship by literally everything else. We exist to make Him famous, not to promote our kingdom and our agenda and relegate our own kids to worship us to the exclusion of this God by whom everything exists. Okay? Okay, let's get into a critique. Um, I'm going to have to blow by the epistemology here. Let me just point out to you that Mormons are very feeling oriented. They are not intellectually oriented when it comes to religion. Now Mormons are very smart people. Okay? They are very well educated people. But when it comes to religion, they have gone the way of all flesh in our postmodern society. And they have bought into this lie that faith is completely divorced from reason. So if you have faith, you don't need reason. All you need is the feeling. So they're very much uh, in tune with the spirit through the internal workings of the spirit manifesting to their heart. But when it comes to intellectual things about God, you don't need that stuff. Keep that in mind. Because this becomes very problematic about how do they know that what they believe is really true.
4: And um, for any of you guys that have the missionaries that come over, eventually if you take the missionary lessons, they will give you a Book of Mormon, they will tell you to read it and pray about it. And if it's true, God will tell you in your heart. And that's that's how you test the Book of Mormon, and that's how you determine whether or not it's true. Mm-hmm. So that's just be prepared for that's what the missionaries will usually do.
0: And so what do you usually tell them?
4: I tell them I have prayed about it, and God told me it's false.
2: <laughs> it's
4: <very> <laughs> so what of our God's is wrong here. So... Um, yeah, and Rob, Rob has read through it, too, and says the same thing. Um, but that's that's really how they get a lot of their converts, is they really base it on feelings. And I know growing up in the church, I had these wonderful feelings. You know, like, oh, when I got baptized, it was like feelings going crazy. And um, I thought it was interesting. I met another ex-Mormon, and she had experienced the same thing. And then she started working at a bookstore, um, and she picked up some something about reincarnation, and she was just reading it out of the religion section, I think, Mm -hmm. and she started having those same feelings. And she thought, wait a second. The Holy Spirit that convicted me, the Book of Mormon is true, is now convicting me that um, reincarnation is true. So they both can't be true. So then she finally got to a point where she had to sort out the, um, okay, what really is this spirit? Is this really the spirit of God? Because why would God tell me this and this, and they're both true? So I thought that was interesting. For me, it was more of a... Um, I grew up in it, so yes, I felt these wonderful feelings. Um, but like I was saying, when my father passed away, I kept praying for that feeling, for God to give me the feeling that I felt when the Book of Mormon was true, like to just the comfort of knowing that um, that my dad was in heaven and all of this. And it never really came. And for me, it just was like, okay, why would God convict me of, you know, the Book of Mormon's true, but then he doesn't provide comfort like the Bible says. He wasn't providing that comfort. So that's when I started c- to question where the feelings came from and was it really from God and I totally now do not believe it was from God and um, I believe that it's just it's purely evil feelings and I have other friends who have left the Mormon church too who believe the same thing that it was really um, they it was being led astray so
0: mm-hmm. let me have one caveat to that it's the second Thessalonians chapter two verse eleven that's passage it. that it's says that God Himself, not just Satan. I mean, Satan can give, obviously lead you astray, right? But this is mind-blowing for Mormons. This is when you tell them, "Look, have you ever thought that maybe God may be leading you astray?" What? <laughs> How can an all-good God lead people astray? Well, the Bible is very clear. Second Corinthians, or excuse me, Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse eleven says that. For this reason, because of the hardness of heart, because men choose not to acknowledge what God has clearly revealed in his word and in nature, they uh, they totally uh, sweep the truth of God under the carpet, as it were. And God has given them over to their depraved mind so that they would not acknowledge the truth. God had sent them a strong delusion so that they would believe a lie. That's pretty scary for Mormons. Because if that's true, how do you know, Mormon, that God's not giving you this to set you in your ways? It's very troubling for them. This is where you want to bring the Mormon back to the importance of the Word of God. Okay? Jesus said over and over again when he was tempted by Lucifer, by Satan, it is written, it is written, it is written, over and over again. Jesus did not tell his disciples, we'll just go, go uh, you know, pray about it, get a good feeling. If it's true, then it's true for you. Okay? If not, well, um, just keep trying and get a good feeling. No, he didn't say that. He said the word of God. He had, his authority was in the word of God. And God promises to re, uh, preserve his word. And we've seen I- examples of this through the Dead Sea Scrolls, through the various manuscripts that we have of the Bible, that the Bible is trustworthy, and that Jesus was right when he said that uh, not one jot nor one tittle will ever be taken from the law until all of these things be Fulfilled. When he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. He said that scripture cannot be broken. Which directly goes against the the book of Mormon belief in 1 Nephi chapter 13, where it says that many plain and precious truths were taken from the word of God after the death of the apostles. No, we can trust the word of God now, of course, the Bible has been translated correctly and incorrectly. But how you determine what is correct and what is not, is not on the basis of feelings. I'm just praying it over and getting a good burning in your bosom, the Mormons call it. Right? It's by examining the evidence. And I'll give you an example of that. Mormons uh, in the Joseph Smith translation, JST, the inspired version, They have tampered with the text of the Bible. So that in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph Smith sticks a prophecy in there of his own self. (laughs) And he would come about in the last days named after Joseph, right? And he would be named after his father, Joseph Smith Jr., right? So you get the point. Joseph Smith was giving a prophecy of himself. Now look there is not one Hebrew manuscript in existence that says what Joseph Smith said. He totally made it up out of whole cloth. Why in the world would we believe Joseph Smith over all the manuscript testimony that we have? Because I got a good feeling. You see? That's the answer. Is it not? Right? Now, if that's the way you want to go, the Bible is trying to warn you over and over again. The proverb says, he who believes in his heart is a fool. Okay? Jeremiah chapter 17 says, the heart is more deceitful above all else. Who can know it? Over and over again, God has warned us about our feelings, how our feelings lead us astray. So this is what you need to keep in mind. And as a result of the Mormon basing his life on this internal testimony, which doesn't fit the the manuscript facts of the Bible, they have a serious credibility problem when it comes to their interpretation of the Bible serious credibility problem.